We're here again for the Brentwood Baptist Life Group Leaders Podcast, week five, just like Barnabas. We'll be in Acts 13, one through four, talking about Barnabas as evangelizer. You are listening to the Brentwood Baptist Church Life Group Leader Podcast, a resource to equip and encourage group leaders on their journey toward being disciples and making disciples through life groups. So we just finished the hump, week four of the seven-week series, Just Like Barnabas. I hope, you catch that word there, I hope you feel like you're repeating yourself at this point. I know sometimes it can feel awkward as group leader. We always think we got to have something new and creative and exciting for people. But I sit on preaching team Monday afternoons and one constant refrain from the preachers when they do sermon series or they have an emphasis for an entire semester or something like that is as soon as they hear people complaining that they've heard this before or this is a repeat, that's when they know the people are beginning, just beginning to internalize the idea. So repetition is a good thing. Don't feel bad or guilty about that. Uh, Jason Dukes, our multiplication minister for the Brentwood Baptist family, likes to use the term creative redundancy. That's what you're doing. You're not merely repeating. You're being creatively redundant in elevating these features of what it means to be a disciple, just like Barnabas was. So keep after it. Stay encouraged. I think the Barnabas stuff is getting some movement coming off the heels of the disciple making series i'm hearing a lot of really great conversations i'm getting a lot of really solid inquiries and questions to me about disciple making or questions about how to deal with people uh, who are already in the disciple making process how do i help this person do such and so or how do i answer these questions so the conversations now compared to this time last year or two years ago are of a a much higher quality. So it's it's exciting. I think there is definitely some movement, and I hope you're feeling that at your campus as well. So today we're going to talk about Barnabas's evangelizer, and we're really talking about the first missionary movement, or at least the first as global, non-local missionary movement. I mean, we had already seen the gospel move out from Pentecost in Jerusalem all the way to Cornelius. So we covered Jews, Samaritans, and then Gentiles. And so now we see uh, a, a more globe. We're going to reach, we're going to reach all those areas around us in ever increasing spirals. We're going to share the gospel beyond where we are, plant churches and all the rest. Uh, hold tight that history of the Antioch church because it matters for what we're reading now. So Acts 13 verse one. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. And then it goes through a list of those prophets and teachers, five individuals in particular. And so we always got to ask ourselves, where did these teachers come from? Where did these prophets and teachers come from? Because remember, these were Gentiles who had come to faith, likely, maybe not Barnabas, but certainly some of those names seem very uh, Gentile-ish Greek to me, not all of them. Uh, Nevertheless, where did these people come from, these teachers and prophets? Well, they came from the year-long teaching of Saul, that is Paul, and Barnabas. And I hope you find it as an encouragement. Uh, I know sometimes as a leader, I can get a little frustrated and disappointed with myself that people aren't moving as fast as I want them to move, not developing in the way I want them to develop, not leading like I want them to lead fast enough. It was a whole year's worth of teaching, whole year's worth of teaching. 
And then now they have these other prophets and teachers. So, um, I mean, I, I, there might have been more. I don't know. We always want to be careful about arguing from absence just because it's not said in the text. We got to be sensitive to that and not just make up stuff. Nevertheless, these five were called out. Now, surely Saul and um, that is Paul and Barnabas taught way more than five, but they raised up these five leaders in particular who were um, discerning of the Holy Spirit's movement on their community and in their own lives. Second is that this discernment happened while they were worshiping and fasting. While they were worshiping and fasting, the Lord said, or the Holy Spirit said, uh, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So a ton of theology in that one little verse. I don't know that you want to belabor it in your groups, but I am going to belabor it for a second here just so that we have it um, in case it's brought up is that one, we elevate the personhood of the Holy Spirit. Uh, There's other traditions. There's other sects of the Christian tradition who would want to say the Holy Spirit is like an energy or a force. Uh, Historical Orthodox Christianity, we um, as believers here at Brentwood Baptist want to argue the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit said that's a personal that, that that's a demarcation of personhood is that you're speaking and you have an idea and you have a will, the things for which I have called them. All right. So this isn't some blind energy coming in the place of the father to do something. This is the person of the Holy Spirit with his distinct will that aligns with the father and son, but the Holy Spirit's will and mind and says the work for which I have called them here. So the Holy Spirit is a person Two, the Holy Spirit calls people to work. Um, sometimes we can use language that betrays our actual belief of the Trinity, where the uh, Holy Spirit and the son are subservient to the father. Now, functionally, functionally, not in their nature, not in their essential character, not in their being, but in their function. They choose to submit to the father. That's why we can read things like in Gethsemane, where Jesus says, not my will, but yours to the father. But in their nature, they're equivalent. They're all equivalent. Uh, there's not one better than the other. Think about Philippians 2, the passage I've been harping on for the past four weeks. Did not think equality with God was something to be exploited. He had that equality. But then he becomes flesh and submits himself in that way. And so the Holy Spirit has a will. That will aligns with the father and the son. And he calls Saul and Barnabas to a particular work. So one, we want to elevate the Trinity. Two, we want to elevate the personhood of the Holy Spirit. Three, we want to elevate the equality within the triune Godhead, but also signifying the work of the Holy Spirit in the movement of the gospel. Uh, We don't want to forget about the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit does the bulk of the work in the gospel. As we as we read the New Testament, it's just stunning to me. The Holy Spirit prays on our behalf, intercedes for us. The Holy Spirit brings conviction, brings judgment. Uh, gives us power, gives the words to speak on and on and on and on. It goes with the role of the Holy Spirit. So we want to elevate all of that. Now, leading into the Holy Spirit saying these things is that these faithful teachers and prophets and probably the rest of the community, I don't know that. It could have just been like these five or it could have been these five and Saul, that is Paul and Barnabas, or it could have been the whole community at Antioch. I don't know. But there was some set of people worshiping and fasting. And it's in the context of those disciplines that they're able to discern the voice of the Holy Spirit and the calling of the Holy Spirit. And that is a crucial point that we have to encourage with our groups. Um, Again, I told you what I told the group I've been leading on the first day. I told them um, 
nothing I'm going to say to you is as important as this fact. You, by the end of this seven weeks, are engaging with the scriptures daily. And you can use the Journey on Today app. You can use, which is the same as those six texts on the back of your little printout I give them each week, which is the um, short personal study guide. If you all are not doing that daily by the time I'm done with this, it will be a failure, regardless of whatever theological truths I happen to get right along the way. And the reason is simply verse two is that it's in the context of worshiping fasting that they discern the Holy Spirit. We have a bunch of people who say they want to live godly lives that say they want to be in the will of God, that say they want to be on mission with God, but then they don't do the disciplines that give them the spiritual sensitivities to respond, to hear and respond appropriately to the calling of the spirit. And so here too are elevated worshiping and fasting. Let's start with those group. Well, can we worship together as a life group? Assuming you all meet at the same hour, you maybe not, but oftentimes worship hours um, are similar for life groups, which is why they in part land in that life group in the first place, at least for on-campus groups, off-campus groups, a little different, but uh, you all can still plan together, say, hey, let's worship at 9, 30, 11, whenever your campus does worship and say, as a life group, can we worship together? As a life group, can we fast together? And let's see how the Holy Spirit might move on our group to what things the Holy Spirit may have called us. Those would be two definite initiatives where God responded to Antioch. Why not respond at your campus? And then, of course, the daily Bible engagement and prayer are the persistent ones we have to continually hammer with our people and ourselves. I mean, it starts with us. If we value it and we do it and it's effective in our lives as leaders, we're going to talk more naturally about it to our groups. So covenant with your group. Let's worship together, group. Let's fast together, group. Let's see what happens, group, when the the Holy Spirit, when we can hear his voice and discern his voice clearly. Verse three, then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. They laid their hands on them and sent them off. Now, on this second day, Remember, I said on the first day, who was worshiping and fasting, we don't really know. Could have been those five. Could it have been the seven if we add in Saul, that is Paul and Barnabas? Was it the whole congregation? The guess is probably the whole congregation because that's usually how worship happened. We think in terms of Acts 2.42, they gathered in the temple daily, broke bread house by house. So the assumption is it's the whole community. But it's clearer in the laying on of hands that it is the whole community commissioning Saul and Barnabas to the work. And so we jump over to Acts 14. Acts 14, verse 26 and 27. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived, that is in Antioch, and gathered the church together, so everyone, they all declared um, all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. So this idea of bringing the whole community together to hear a report, I think gives us a parallel reading back onto our text that it was likely the whole community there commissioning them in the first place. And of course, the parallel is one-to-one for us. Are we ascending church in the way that we want to be? Uh, We do a pretty good job sending missionaries. Uh, The one critique is maybe it can be a little institutional sometimes. Maybe it's not happening happening as spontaneously from within as, as one would like it to happen. But we spend well over a fourth of our budget, I think, was the last number I heard on global mission, not to mention all the local mission work that we do in addition to that. 
but are we as a church celebrating that enough? Uh, you celebrate what you value. And the question is, are we as a people, wherever your campus, and, and of course, Brentwood campus for me, are we celebrating the sending? Are we celebrating the sending off to other campuses of leaders for the sake of reaching those communities with the gospel? Are we celebrating missionary in, in our work? Has our group adopted a missionary that we celebrate? Have we sent anyone out of our group on a mission trip? I mean, that's one initiative we're really hammering on the Brentwood campus is that we would like every group represented in non-local mission every year. That might mean that we send one person out from each group to go on a global mission because they're going to come back with incredible stories, just like Saul and Barnabas do in Acts 14 and tell the whole community how the God opened the doors for them to share the gospel where they were. And that builds a culture and that breeds a mentality of reaching people for the kingdom of God. So my one critique of my campus and me personally, for those of you who know me, is I don't celebrate much. I'm never that up, never that down. Um, unless I hear some really bad theology, I guess that gets me riled up or some bad philosophy, uh, which, of course, manifests in bad ethics. But I don't celebrate well. And I don't know that we celebrate well. And I wonder if we do a disservice to our people by our lack of celebration over this event. I mean, I'm curious how many of you are aware. And again, you don't broadcast these things. I'll leave that alone. But are we aware of the missionaries that we call, that we send, that we support? Um, and some of them you can't celebrate and you ought not to for safety reasons, but there's lots of them we can celebrate. And the question is, are we doing that well? Are we doing that consistently? Verse four. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And then on we go with the story. So we have the, we have the, teachers being raised up we have the worship gathering from which there's a special word given probably to these individuals which is why they're named then we have the laying on of hands by the congregation of Saul and Barnabas and then they send them out by the Holy Spirit per the Holy Spirit's word to do the mission work to which they're called now we're talking in terms of echoes of Christ in the person and work of Barnabas here Right, that's that's the point. That's the point of this story is that essentially um, we don't always think we can be like Paul or John or Matthew, but we look at Barnabas and what he does is extraordinary and significant, but it's not unbelievable in many ways. We can be like Barnabas, which is why the title just like Barnabas. And so the question is, what does Barnabas do? What role does Barnabas play in all of this? One, we elevate the teaching. Barnabas taught for a year. Now we have teachers here. One of our values of the Brentwood Baptist family is multiplying matters. Multiplying matters. We want to multiply salvation first and foremost. We want to multiply our salvation into others who are yet to believe amongst the lost and searching. But we want to multiply groups. We want to multiply campuses. That is to say congregations, I should say, rather than campuses. We want congregations, 100 healthy congregations. So multiplying matters to us. So we as group leaders are a part of that in that we're multiplying new teachers and leaders that may take new groups, but they may go off and do some other sort of ministry or they may go off to some other sort of congregation and serve. But we have to be about the business of raising up individuals uh, as leaders. So multiplying matters. And Barnabas did that by teaching. We can do that by teaching. Second is worshiping and fasting. Barnabas was part of a community of faith who worshiped and fasted. And in that could discern the calling of the Holy Spirit on his life. 
And so we've already seen Barnabas's hinge from last week where he affirms Saul before the Jerusalem Council, affirms Saul by bringing him here to teach at Antioch. So he's already swung the hinge towards the expansion of the gospel amongst the Gentiles through the missionary work of Paul um, and himself. But it's um, here we see just the simple obedience. Uh, again, last week we saw the obedience to go when he was sent. We saw the obedience to get Saul, the lack of arrogance when he was sent. And we see obedience here again is that Barnabas was worshiping and fasting as he was called to do. And then after being prayed over and hearing this word from the spirit, Barnabas faithfully went out and, and went on the missionary journey. And think about how strange in some ways that must have been for Barnabas. Um, it may his story. I don't know how many years it took, at least one, I would guess a few years at least. I mean, if we add in Paul's conversion experience, then by the time he gets to Jerusalem Council, I mean, we're talking a, a good expanse of a number of years here. So we see in Barnabas a guy who buys into Messiah, buys into this teaching of Jesus of Nazareth as the anointed one to reconcile God's people, sells all his stuff, gives it over to the community for ministry at a time when they probably had some need for ministry, just coming out of prison and so forth for Peter. And then we see Barnabas growing, being just faithful to the spirit, a man full of the spirit and of faith. Uh, then being sent down to this church in Antioch and seeing the explosion of Gentiles and just this radical idea that God's reconciling the entire world, not just Jews, but reconciling everybody unto himself and the flourishing of the church in Antioch, the massive expansion. And you're in this incredible center of trade, this hubbub city, this central city to the economy uh, and religion and society and everything looks really good and he's reaching people. And then all of a sudden, hey go do this other places. Uh, it might've been radical. It might've been really comfortable for Barnabas in Antioch. He probably liked it a lot. And yet he was obedient to follow his calling. And we see the blessings that come through that. So there's plenty of stuff we can encourage our groups on throughout this. We can reinforce the theology around the Holy Spirit and the Trinity. We can elevate the obedience of Barnabas. We can elevate the value of teaching and multiplying ourselves. But in the end, we need to elevate that we are a kingdom people. We are a kingdom people. The kingdom of God has been inaugurated and it will be ultimately fulfilled in the corporate resurrection of the dead and given glorified bodies and live forever in the presence of the triune God. For now, we have access to that kingdom, at least in part, so that we are kingdom people. Uh, Barnabas lived as a kingdom person in a way where the things of God were more important than the things that Barnabas maybe wanted for himself or seemed more obvious for Barnabas. So Barnabas as evangelist is to say that Barnabas was obedient to respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit in his life, valued expanding the kingdom of God, valued sharing the gospel. Are our groups centers of the gospel so saturated that our people are excited to share it wherever they go. I remember Mike Glenn coming off a sabbatical a couple of years ago when I was first starting, uh, does this sort of Seinfeld Kramer interest into my office as he generally does and asking me what I've been doing. And I've been here every day uh, working, doing group stuff. You've been on sabbatical. What have you been doing? And begins to share with me some of what he had learned from Craig Keener, who had just written his four volume commentary on acts, incredible, uh, commentary, really good stuff. And one of the comments he made is that over the next couple of years, this is Glenn talking, not Keener. One of the, um, over the next couple of years, we are going to have to learn what the early church knew. 
And that is to say that the apostles, the Barnabases, the Pauls, um, had a calling to all the nations. And then many other individuals had a calling to all the nations. But the bulk of these congregations did not have a concept of global evangelization. What they had was a concept of sharing with the very next person I saw, my neighbor, the person in the marketplace with whom I'm in business. We have to learn what they knew, share the gospel, be excited about the gospel with the people that are already around you. Out of that, look at the Church of Antioch, out of that expansion of the local congregation and worshiping and fasting and making much of the Lord in his kingdom, will God send out missionaries through the local body. And it's a beautiful thing. So we as group leaders have the calling to build cultures and saturation points in our groups such that the value of evangelization, reaching the world, reaching our neighbors, that's why we say neighbors and nations, uh, that has to become a key for us. And it starts with us modeling it. So I, I encourage you, if you are already doing well at that, keep it up. Keep encouraging your people. Let's get them on mission locally. Let's get a representation uh, globally. If you're not doing well at that, I encourage you to begin to pray over how you can make changes in your life to become better at that. I encourage you to partner with your discipleship minister in your missions department. Find out what your group is passionate about. You can rely on the place people for this, the place. You got place coaches all over the place on your campus as well. Invite them into your group and say, what are we passionate about? What, what difference can we make? Think about those spiritual challenge questions. What's breaking your heart in the world and what can you do about it? Use that to leverage local mission and global mission for your group. Become the group that cares about blank and does something about it. Um, that's, that's part of being the kingdom people. We live in the liberty and the freedom where we can do that sort of thing. Barnabas freely sold his stuff, gave it all away, wandered into Antioch, taught for a year. Now he's on mission, wandering around Turkey and the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, who knows what it looks like for us? Let's just be about the business of creating environments of kingdom people ready to do kingdom work 